podcasting from Phoenix, Arizona, the home of year-round flip-flops, the nation's largest city park, and Cactus League spring training. This is The Saver and The Spender, a weekly podcast about budgeting and money habits from both perspectives. And now, here are your hosts, The Saver and financial coach, Kelsa Dickey, and her husband, The Spender, Michael Dickey. All right, everybody, welcome to episode 25 of The Saver and The Spender podcast. Uh, we have a really, I, I'm excited about the show, actually. It's um, going to be good. We're going to be talking about savings um, and the best place to uh, to put your money with the best interest rate because savings interest rates are like really low compared to when I remember opening my first savings account. How much were they a long time ago? 5% maybe? 3%? Oh, yeah, I mean, but also debt interest rates were higher too. So a mortgage was 14% as opposed Ooh, to what it yeah. is now. So, I mean, sure. yeah different. Yeah. But, but still interest rates, I mean, they're, you're, you're happy for making 1%, I think. So we're going to talk yeah. about the best places to find those. Um, what else are we going to talk about? Uh, emergency savings, how to do emergency savings the right way. Um, we've got a good, uh, rule of dumb for today. We've got a great Carmen's corner for today, uh, talking about not just savings, but then spending and the behaviors around overspending and what causes us to not treat luxuries like luxuries and that sort of thing. So yeah, lots of really good content for today. So before we get going with the show, we want to talk about some really cool upcoming stuff that we have going on and some ways to be more interactive with one of the podcasts, but also just your personal financial journey yourself. So um, we, we have a couple different Facebook groups that we recommend you join. So the first one, a lot of you might be on already, and that is the Saver and the Spender podcast Facebook group. Um, I'll put the link in there, but if you just go into Facebook and search the Saver and the Spender podcast, uh, pay off debt. I think if you put Saver and the Spender, it's going to be the first one that pops up. But I mean, we post a ton in there. There's a lot of good conversations about what we talk about in the podcast and uh, Kelsa and I uh, answer questions, but also the people and the members in the group also give their feedback uh, if you have a question about your budget or paying off debt. Um, and so it's just a great resource. It's free to join. You just have to ask to join. We automatically will... Uh, approve you, you're in. Um, so that's one great uh, Facebook group for you to join and just kind of stay in the loop with everything personal finance and the podcast. Perfect. Uh, the other one that we have is a Facebook group dear and near to my heart, which is called Financial Coaches Unite. Uh, I created this just a few months ago. Uh, you know, for years and years, I've been doing this and I was the only financial coach that I knew and I have felt alone in that journey. Uh, and now I want it to be where there are more financial coaches in our world. I want there to be more people helping individuals, couples, small business owners better manage their money. And I know some people listen to our podcast or watch us on Facebook and all of that because they, you know, like the cost savings ideas or they like the, to talk about money. And some of you do it because you have a passion for your own money and you really maybe have a desire to help family, friends, um, strangers better manage their money. And, you know, being a financial coach is maybe something that you've mulled over and you're just not sure if it's something you could do. Financial Coaches Unite is a Facebook group. Again, you have to ask to join. You just type in Financial Coaches Unite in Facebook and it will come up. And it's a great place for aspiring and veteran financial coaches. We share ideas. We talk about challenges, um, both from a business model perspective, but also like the best way we can serve our clients and get the best results with individuals to motivate them, drive them. Um, it can be a really scary thing to figure out like how do we start this as a business or how do we grow as a business owner if we are one already. So whether or not you have a desire to do it as a side hustle or you have a desire to maybe like leave your full-time gig and do it as a career. Either way, Financial Coaches Unite is a really great place to, to, to jump in, you know, start talking with other people and, and really just take the next step in that, you know, journey of yours to be a financial coach. So Financial Coaches Unite, check it out. And it's been like the conversations on there have been awesome. If you're at, at all at that point in your life where you want to help people with their money, like the, everybody is at a different point. Some people are just helping their friends and family. Some people are, you know, are calling themselves financial coaches and that is their full-time job. They've taken that leap and that's awesome. And um, like the, the tips that people have has been awesome. So it's, mm -hmm. it's just a great for whatever part of that journey, journey you are on. Um, so check that out. 
The next thing I want to talk about coming up here is we, we actually have some workshops coming up and we've been doing workshops for a long time and they have been mostly in person in our offices in Mesa, Arizona, and they've been awesome. And the, the, the reaction has been great, but we've, we've always people, every time we post about them or advertise for them, people say, well, do you do them online? And we never have. Um, and last a couple months ago, we we had our first online workshop, and it was a, a huge hit. We got a lot of pe- lot of response from all over the country, um, and because people want to learn how to budget and the right way to budget, uh, but they can't make it in person. So we're we're doing online workshops on January sixth. Um, I will post the uh, links in the, the show notes and maybe here on Facebook in a couple minutes. But if you go to our Facebook page and go to our events, they are on there. You can sign up. Um, but and I want to clarify really quickly. So I think one of the reasons why I didn't want to do them online for so long is there's definitely this, um, you know, free webinar sort of strategy out there for marketing businesses. And the idea is that you get maybe like a really small nugget of information and then a sales pitch. And that is not what this is. So this is an online workshop. We, uh, the ticket price is $49. That includes you and one other person, because we think it's really important, whether that's your spouse or a friend or a coworker, if you can show up with somebody else, it's going to be more likely that you've got that support system, somebody who else who knows what you're trying to do with your money. And we think that that's really powerful. So, you know, $49 for two people, it gets recorded and sent to you. So even if you can't participate live, which we think is most valuable, absolutely, because there's an open Q and a session or section of it. Um, so, but even if you can't for any reason, let's say you've got something going on that day, you register because you get a copy of it sent to you um, in your email so you can watch it at any time. It goes through step-by-step how we budget, how we teach our clients to do it, gives you worksheets and downloads and tutorials and essentially everything you need to do it yourself. And the idea is that it is a full-on workshop. So there's really no reason after that that you uh, can't be budgeting in a much more productive, fluid way after the workshop. Yep. You'll leave with, we, we're going to give you uh, templates and worksheets and principles to use on your own so that you can take what you learn in the workshop and just go apply it immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a great thing. Now, we actually have two different workshops that are going to piggyback off each other. There's one that is specifically for individuals, uh, single people and couples uh, that are basically not self-employed. Um, so if you, you know, you're yourself, you want to learn how to budget just to get to wrangle your personal finances, or if you share finances with somebody else, a significant other, wife, husband, whatever, um, then, you know, more specifically, this is for you. We're going to tell you how to share your finances. So that's one class. This workshop is called, I don't think we even mentioned it. It's called five steps to a better budget. Um, so we, our budgeting system is five simple steps. We're going to tell you how to do each one. And then you're going to leave with the framework for your own budget. Um, so the second workshop, which is going to piggyback off the first one, uh, is called Five Steps for a Better Budget, the Solopreneur Edition. So if you are a small business owner where you have less than three employees, right, you, mm-hmm. you, um, or you're a solopreneur, it's just you, um, this is specifically for you. And, and we're going to go into detail on how to manage your uh, business finances and your personal finances at the same time, uh, really. And for those people that are solopreneurs and small business owners, it's really about a variable income, right? Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, yeah. And I mean, the separation between the two business and personal checking accounts, like how do you begin to separate those two? That is just so, such an overwhelming uh, concept for some people getting started in their own business. And then, um, or if people have them separated, they're not really sure how, what the flow of money should be from one to the other. So we help them design that, create that. Uh, we separate the two and then we create budgets for both. And, and uh, it's, just its own beast when you own a business. It's very, very different from, you know, somebody who has a steady paycheck coming in every two weeks. Um, Both have their own sets of challenges and pros and cons. And so the workshops are designed to tackle those more specifically for those two groups of people. Exactly. Great. Um, So workshops, January 6th, 2018, 10 a.m. Arizona time. I don't know what that means for you. We don't (laughs) celebrate... We don't celebrate uh, or embrace daylight savings time in here. Um, <laughs> we, we despise time zone changes. Like it's seriously, there's always an issue with a client scheduling thing. We even have a software. We pay for a software that does time zone changes when clients schedule appointments. And without fail, there's still always like one hiccup that happens every six months when the... C 
seasons change and boy, oh boy, I despise time zone changes. Yes. <laughs> so. so I think right now we are mountain standard time. We are, we are not Pacific. We are not central. We're not Eastern. We're the other one. Sure. I don't know. We're two hours <laughs> from Eastern. We're one hour ahead of Pacific. So we're right. And everyone else is wrong. That's all and, that matters. Yep. And then, and then from Hawaii, I have no idea anymore. Yeah, no, no clue. What time is it right now, James? We'll find out. It's 1037 in Arizona right now. Yeah. Which means it's 1237 noon in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway. Anyways. Um, we also have coming up at the start of the new year, uh, along with the Financial Coaches Unite, we have a program called Financial Coach Academy. It is specifically designed to train people who want to become financial coaches, whether that is as a side hustle or as your full-time gig. Maybe you're already doing a little bit of it or possibly not doing any of it. And you want 2018 to be the year that you create a business around helping people with their money. Financial Coach Academy is a 10-week long program with me. uh, And it rolls out February 1st. Uh, but registration obviously starts before that. We are offering an early bird special right now, $500 off if you register before December 31st. Uh, and so that goes away. Most people will probably register in January. And uh, the last round that we had of that was amazing. And I cannot wait to do it again. If anything, I wish I, it was here now because I would do it again in a heartbeat. Uh, we've got people with websites done and they're helping people. They've got their programs designed. They've got their businesses set up from the back office standpoint, scheduling appointments, the contracts. You essentially get everything I have as a coach. And uh, because I want you out there helping people, I want you out there making our world better from a financial perspective. Uh, Money is the number one cause of stress in our country. It's the number one cause of divorce. And, uh, most people, 80% of people could not tackle a minor emergency if it happened today. And I think there needs to be more of us out there helping those people. It's a, there's a huge need and we can create a wonderful solution by getting more financial coaches trained to do this on their own. And uh, that's what the Financial Coach Academy is all about. So check that out. And I think, babe, the website is financialcoachacademy.com. Right. Yep. Financialcoachacademy.com. You're so smart. You're so, that was just so easy. Good job. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) The code, if you, you know, early bird pricing is until December 31st is $500 off. And the code is early bird. Um, What's the difference between Financial Coach Academy and like the Dave Ramsey Financial Coach Training? Because we've actually had people ask that and they're like, oh, I'm trained by financial uh, coach from Dave Ramsey. And you know, what's the difference? Yeah, the great question. So I think he focuses a lot on like teaching his principles and making sure that you're teaching those principles to your clients where I don't believe that money is a one size fits all thing. So really the Financial Coach Academy is designed to help financial coaches design a business around their own coaching structure. So a lot of the times most people come into the academy and they know they want to help people, but as far as, well, how many sessions and how long is the session? And, you know, is it a four session program? Is it, you know, six months? Like what is the design of that? And I help individuals formulate all of that from the business perspective, as well as the financial training. So there's sessions, you guys can take a look at financialcoachacademy.com and we've list all the modules for 10 weeks and what we cover. And those are just the bullet points of what we cover. So you can imagine it's two hours every week. We really dive in, in a lot of detail into those topics that you'll see on those modules, but, um, you know, overcoming objections, you'll leave with like your packages figured out, Um, your why, all the back office things as well. So like a client schedules, what happens? Like, how do you manage your calendar? Uh, How does the client get the contract? What is that onboarding flow? So very much from a business model standpoint, because I don't only want you out there helping people, I want you to do it in the most successful way possible for you so that you can do it for a very long time. And if you're out there helping people, but can't pay your own bills or can't make a living doing it, it's probably going to be a short-term thing. And that's not what I want. I want people out there feeling really successful with their money um, and successful as a financial coach, as a business as well. And so that's what it's designed for. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, so financialcoachacademy.com. Mm-hmm. Early yes. bird until December 31st. Yeah. James says it's 737 in Hawaii right now. Mm. Okay. So three hours behind oh, us. Three hours. 
Cool. All right. So let's get right into it. Trending. What is trending in the news today as far as personal finance goes? Can I stop you for a second? You forgot something. Oh, what did I forget? We have the meal prep challenge. So we... I really think that this is a huge hurdle for a lot of people. I know for us, we've had a bad couple of months in the sense of like one of us was sick for the last couple of months at all times, it seemed like. Um, And life just gets busy. And what happens is we don't meal prep. We eat out all the time. The budget ends up getting bigger. You know, we're maybe not feeling any more energetic because we're eating like crap, you know, all sorts of things. And so we decided for everybody, we're going to do a meal prep challenge. Uh, $25 buy-in. There's like a fee that gets added to that, but all of the money that people pay essentially goes into the kitty for prizes. So we've got a uh, whole design of a point system. It's going to be six weeks long. And really the idea is to get people feeling motivated and accountable to others and motivated to meal prep and save money. It is not necessarily like diet related. So we're not health coaches. We're not trying to encourage you eat paleo or low carb or whole 30 or any of those things. Like we do our thing, but we really want it to be where you can prep whatever kind of food you want, but are you prepping? That's really the point. You know, we're trying to make it fun. So the idea is if you prep, we want to see a before and after picture of what your kitchen looks like, for example, because chances are after you prep 30 meals or whatever, your kitchen's going to look like a disaster. And we want to encourage you to clean it as quickly as possible. So if you post a picture, you get an extra point and that kind of thing. So we're trying to make it fun. Um, and again, it's a $25 buy-in, but again, all that goes towards prizes. So Michael, I don't know the link for that or how, where they check that out. So you might want to share that and you can post it in the notes too. I just did. It's fiscalfitnessphx.com slash meal prep challenge. Awesome. Cool. So you check that out. Yeah, we asked a lot of people, or I asked in Facebook, um, and I think the uh, Save and Spender podcast group too, but like, what do you normally spend per week uh, uh, on meals in your family? And, and there are a lot of people that they like felt really guilty about that they they don't have a handle on their groceries on top of um, eating out, and they spend, you know, they don't know. So meal prepping is like such it, not only is it going to possibly help you lose weight if that is your goal, or you want to eat healthier, it's going to automatically do that for you, but you're going to save so much money on your budget. So if that's one of your goals for 2018, then, you know, getting on board a meal prep challenge like this is really going to help you save money and, and, uh, you know, eat healthier, possibly like Kelsey said, it's not our goal, but I think you're just automatically going to do that anyways. I think it just multitude of benefits, save time, save money, save, um, calories, right? Or, you know, sugar, whatever it is that your, your vice is. So yeah, so we're excited about that. I know we need it personally, right? So we feel like a lot of the clients need it or a lot of our posse of individuals, our community needs it. And so we are happy to deliver and all benefit mutually. So great. Check it out. Thanks. All right. right. Now trending. Ready go. Now trending. Sorry. Um, so from CNN money, here's an article that came out. I'm just going to read it and we're going to kind of talk about it. But roughly half of Americans are saving 5% or less of their incomes, including 18% that are not saving anything, according to a survey from Bankrate. Only about a quarter of people are saving more than 10% of their earnings. Currently, one in seven people are saving more than 15%, the report showed. All right. So here's my gist on this. This sounds good or bad or however you want to look at it, but how many people actually know what their saving percentage is? And so my challenge for everybody is when you read these articles, it's like, we don't even have a comparison. We don't have a metrics. And part of me doesn't care what other people are doing, right? Like, are we doing the best that we can do? But we should absolutely know what our savings percentage is. So there is a few different ways you can calculate this. None of them are necessarily wrong. It's just up to you. So I'm going to give you some examples. Really, the gist of it is that you want to take how much you put into savings. You know, let's, you know, typically this is like long term savings, more like investments or retirement, not necessarily like money going into a travel fund, because the idea of that money is it might be spent in the future, right? So it's not really savings for the sake of savings. Um, Still a really good tactic, but not necessarily what we're talking about. So you take all the money you're putting into investments, whether it's an IRA, 401k, SEP, all of that, and divide it by your income. Should you use net or gross income? So gross income is the total dollar amount you get in a year. Net income is typically described as, you know, after taxes come out. Doesn't matter. 
Either way is correct. What I usually recommend is just pick a way um, and make sure you're doing it that same way every year. That way you're comparing apples to apples. The idea is you want to know your percentage and then at least you should be focusing on making progress every year. So if you're at 3% this year, can you get it to 4% next year? And what do you need to do to get it to 4%? And always trying to improve your savings percentage is really what this is about. Um, also, you know, if you do it the same way every year, again, you're comparing apples to apples and that's really the the most important thing for us as a business owner, it makes more sense for us to do gross because we take the total number that we get into the business. And whether that's us personally, you know, we've got office rent and we don't necessarily get all of that money ourselves, but then there are things that we get to pay for out of the business. And it's so hard to figure out, you know, that would be such a manual calculation on what is our income. So for us, we actually do gross and then we take all of the money we save. You know, we've got a company 401k, an IRA, and we come up with our percentage using gross. Certainly a lot of my clients will do net if most of your contributions are things after taxes, like a Roth IRA, then you might want to use your net number. If the bulk of your investments happen pre-tax to like a company 401k, you might want to use the gross number. And again, at the end of the day, what we don't know in these types of statistics is what number are these people using? And it can vary greatly, right? So if I do a net number of income, my percentage is going to look amazing compared to somebody who has the exact same savings figure, but they're comparing it to their gross income. And like what, so that's where, you know, try not to compare your job is to know your own number and compare it to yourself one year to the next and always try and get it better and strengthen that number. That's my soapbox. Sorry. Perfect. Okay. I, think I blacked out there for a second. <laughs> I think I saw God. Stop. Stop. It was weird. Um, so, but the, the article continues. <laughs> Bank rates financial security index. <laughs> uh, I saw a light. Don't go into the light, Michael. Stop. Um, Stop Bank rates financial security index, which surveyed a thousand adults in the U.S., also showed consumers are feeling better about their debt and financial situation compared to a year ago, which would actually be bad news for savings accounts. People get frugal fatigue. As the economy improves, I think a lot of people will fall back into familiar habits, more spending, more debt, less savings. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I'm seeing it for sure. I mean, especially when it comes to tapping into your house's equity to like pay off debt or uh, you know, fix maybe some overspending that you've done for years, people swore they would never do this again. And now all of a sudden it's happening all over again, you know, like the, um, mortgage, like refinancing and the underwriting process has gotten more lackadaisical all over again. And they swore they wouldn't do that, you know? And so I'm certainly seeing it where the better the economy gets, the more we start to trust that the income will always be there or our job security starts to feel more, um, stable and all of that, where, and this is how everybody felt before, you know, the economy took the dive, you know, before, and then all of a sudden it happened. So I, you know, don't let this stop you from feeling really motivated or having that fire under you to get money in savings, build an emergency fund, get yourself out of debt, you know, use, st you know, stick to your guns on laying that really solid foundation so that if we ever find ourselves back in a really tough time again, you're ready for it. Mm -hmm. Great. Saving more is easier said than done, which is why Bankrate suggests making it automatic by having a portion of each paycheck be directly deposited into a savings account in a retirement plan. Saving needs to happen before you pick up your check. What do you think about that? So I struggle with this because I think sometimes people read this and when it says savings needs to happen before you pick up your check, if a person is trying to get out of debt and so a lot of their money every paycheck, let's say, is going towards paying off credit cards at 29% interest then they now feel badly about that choice as opposed to feeling proud of themselves because they instead are saying, well, I'm not saving money. So I, I would change this quote to say something like, try to automate putting money towards your goals and priorities, right? So before your money comes in and you decide to spend it on non-necessities or even some necessities like utilities and stuff, what can you do to automate and put as much money behind whatever goal you're working on? So, you know, maybe that is saving. Maybe you're at the point where retirement, 401k, getting money into a savings account can be automated. That's where you're at. Or maybe you need to be paying off some debt um, and maybe you put the money automatically into a checking account. And then from there you pay that money to your credit card, you know, or something like that. Um, so I think the point is automated and prioritizing your goals first, whether that's savings or paying off debt. 
Yeah. And I think it's, that's important because people, you know, savings, increasing savings, having an emergency, an emergency savings and paying off debt are probably the top two goals that people have. And people say, well, I got to have savings. I got to have savings. But then I also have to pay off debt. I have to pay off debt. And if you do both at the same time, um, and if you make both of those a priority, you're, you're, you're doubling how long it's going to take you to reach both goals. So prioritize which one and, and um, yeah. you know, you have, if you have a lot of debt, but one is huge interest rate, like that's costing you a lot of money to avoid that, pay the minimums on that and, and put money into savings. Right. And this is, I think sometimes I think it would be so much sexier if I could just tell people like you do it this way first, and then you do it this way second. And this, I, I firmly believe that this is different for everybody. You know, so there are some instances where a client is going to get out of debt in six months and we can do that even if they keep their 401k contributions going at maybe 10% or 15% of their paycheck, or maybe they're doing a lot to that. And it, doesn't prevent them from getting out of debt quickly. And then there's other instances where doing that means that they are, we can't see how the debt is going to be possibly paid down or something. Um, you know, I will say that I feel like it's my job to paint that picture, look at all the numbers, go through it and make the determination for each person individually, because I don't believe that it's the same for everybody. So it'd be sexier for me and easier for me to give everyone a nice, easy answer. And it just doesn't work that way. Right. Uh, James actually brings up a good point here on, on Facebook Live, but he says, pay raise season is upon us. The same thought should be the same, uh, not to spend more. So people are getting these, these bonuses or a pay raise. Um, and we, without going into too far, I mean, this is a whole other podcast, not think on itself, but you know, people get this extra money and then they think, oh, I can use that money and, and don't, uh, for whatever I want, not to either pay, you know, pay it on debt or uh, pay off of some debt or put it into savings. They think they can, it's just extra money now. Cool. Yeah, exactly. And this is where a perfect example, if you get a 2% raise, immediately make that 2%, you know, calculation going to a direct deposit to savings or checking and maybe paying debt from there or investments. Like don't try to make it so you don't even feel that money. I give the same analogy or example. Let's say a client pays off a credit card and it's a $323 a month payment on the 15th of every month. As soon as that car is paid off, I tell them whatever your next goal is on the 15th of every month for $323, pay that towards it. You know, like don't allow that money to come into your checking account and then force yourself to feel the willpower or execute the willpower towards putting that towards your next goal. Keep it automated, right? Like instead of it going to the car, it just goes to the next thing on the same day in the same amount every single month, like it was going to the car. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, try to keep it as automated as possible. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so that, that was, I mean, that's, that was just great. Um, that's uh, today's a savings episode, I think more than anything, but, uh, I want to segue right into our financial rule of dumb because there's, uh, and the financial rule of dumb is like this, the saying that, Oh, you need to do this X, Y, Z. And it's one size fits all right. Type of a thing. So this, and we actually got this, uh, rule of dumb from this previous article, but they said that you should be putting 15% of your income into savings. Is that true? Sure. For some people, that's perfect percentage that they should be doing, you know, and that's oh, where it's like, everybody should be doing that. No. <laughs> yeah. um, oh God, this drives me crazy sometimes. So then it's like people who could actually physically do 30% because they have a great income right now and they're not spending and they could be saving 30%. They shouldn't do that because you only need to do 15 um, or gosh, you could do 30% and retire 10 years earlier. And like, wouldn't that be wonderful? But, you know, so I think in some instances, this percentage in giving these rules of thumbs out there really holds people back from the potential that they could be saving so much more aggressively because it's almost like, well, this is good enough. I've hit this magic number, right? Other people like they're doing 3% and yet they're maybe paying off debt in the meantime, and they're feeling badly about themselves because they're not doing the 15%. I really think it boils down to being as specific as you can for your situation, you know, calculating what does your retirement lifestyle dream lifestyle look like coming up with what that monthly lifestyle will cost you and then figuring out what do you need to be putting aside every single month in order to accomplish that? How long will it take you? 
and what percentage does that get you, right? And I think once you know that number or that percentage, doing it becomes almost non-negotiable, right? And it doesn't matter if you read an article, you talk to a friend, if someone's doing better than you, good for them. You don't need to do that much, right? So it allows you to balance out like saving for your future and enjoying today. Um, I will say that, you know, that we do this and 15%... um, personally, I am just much more of a saver, as you know, babe, like, I don't think you really care for what we're doing, but like, I mean, you do care, but I think I'm the one that calculates it. Uh, I, I calculate, I don't even know if you know this, Michael, our savings rate every single month. And I then average it out for the year so I can see what it is for the year. Um, and for the year we are at like 29.78%. There's some awesome Facebook groups that I'm in where, you know, you share your money and all of that. And we encourage that. We want people to own their finances and be really proud of it we are at like 29.78% or 29.6% or something like that. And you better believe I'm going to do whatever I can between now and the end of the year, because I want it to be at 30%. We are so close. We're at less than 1% off that. And I'm going to find whatever I can. So your wife is driven, honey. You better watch out. Um, I'm going to be saving. I didn't know we were saving. What's the savings count? I didn't know we were saving any money. Stop it. You are such, he's lying. Everybody, he knows where our savings accounts are. Um, I make him involved. I do, I promise. And he, you do want to be involved. So, um, I just crunch numbers more obsessively than you do. So for me, um, you know, I think 15% would hold us back. And for others, that's a huge stretch. And it's just something that they could feel badly about. And I, uh, I think either way, being more specific, asking yourself what it is that you want out of your life and how much you need to be saving is at the end of the day, the most important thing. And so this is a stupid rule of thumb. Yep. Great. I like that. So, um, let's go right into the budget brag. And this is a great one. Yeah. Uh, so Tammy, are you listening still, Tammy? So we're, we're going to brag on Tammy. She says that she has slapped $482.40 on their last personal loan, bringing it down to around $2,800. She didn't know the exact amount, but it's around $2,800. This is from $4,900. $2,807. $2,807. There you go. Mm-hmm. This is from about $4,900 in May, and projective payoff date is March 18th. Cha-ching. Yeah, so what I love about this, you know, is it is a hectic month for a lot of people. It's an expensive month. It's lots of transactions, a lot of busyness this month. And so anytime you can make progress this month towards your goals, you know, is such a positive thing. And I know by the end of the month, she's probably going to put even more to it. So, but the fact that, you know, already we've put $482 to it, we're chipping away at it. She's probably going to have it paid off before March. I'd love to see that. Yeah. Um, you know, that's our original target. So anything we can do to make it faster is beautiful thing. And her average, you know, $2,100 decrease in seven months is an average of $300 a month. And she just plopped $482 to it. So, I mean, she's crushing it. It's amazing. She's doing everything right, right now. And, you know, she even had a whammy pop-up. She had a vet bill unexpectedly. So, you know, it could have been even more. So even despite the hecticness and the whammy, she's making progress, which I think is remarkable. So good job, Tammy. Keep up the good work. Great job, Tammy. Awesome job. Yes. Well, let's go right into the listener question. And so this is, uh, again, savings episode, but this person asks, where should I be saving my money for emergency savings? Do you get good interest rates on savings accounts anymore? And then also James uh, asked kind of a a follow-up question where, um, is a good place to keep, uh, keep your savings liquid. Got it. Okay. Uh, and this is when I rolled my eyes at you because you have your joke. Okay. Um, I, I wrote a little note on our, you know, question that said, you know, define good, you know, what is considered a good interest rate and, you know, interest rates change. And as you were saying originally, you know, you used to be able to get five, 6% in a savings account, but you'd also pay 14% on your mortgage. Um, you know, I would say now one to 1.3% in savings is good. Uh, there can are, we're going to post. Again? Hold on, hold on. Can you say that again? I got a little feedback, like digital. What was good? Uh, like one to 1.3% is good right now for a savings account. And we're going to post a couple of links. There's some great articles. Um, Magnify Money did one. Nerd Wallet, which I love, did one. Uh, just kind of ranking some and giving you some things to consider. I certainly have my favorites. And um, the idea is 
to look at the minimum balance requirement, first of all, and if there's any fees, because even it might say, well, you get 2%, but then you pay a fee every month. It's completely negating that percentage. So, you know, I, you want to look for, you know, and if you have $5,000, they might be advertising that they pay 1.3%, but that's if you keep 10,000 in there. And if you're putting 5,000 in, you're actually in a much lower rate and you just need to be aware of that. So not only is what is the advertised rate, but what's the rate for the balance that you're putting in and also fees and that sort of thing. Um, so those are the two sort of components to look for. Um, my favorite, honestly, is CapitalOne360.com. Used to be called ING Financial, so they've been around forever. Why is this one my favorite? Because we've probably had it for 10 to 12 years. I was going to log in and it won't let me in right now. I don't know why their website's down. So um, <laughs> not looking great for them. But um, yeah. no, I mean, it tells you like you've had an account since this date and we've had them forever, right? And it used to be that they were the first sort of the... Um, the initial people or company to have online savings accounts where it links directly to your checking account. So we've had them for a really long time, which is probably why I like them. They're at 1% right now for a general savings account. doesn't matter how much you uh, keep in there, whether it's $100 or $9,000. Um, it links directly to your primary checking account. It'll go back and forth. There's no fees. Any savings account you have, it's a federal law that you have six withdrawals in a month. So that is for pretty much all savings accounts, whether it's a you know credit union or a bank. So six withdrawals per month is the maximum there, or it gets reverted to a checking account. So just keep that in mind. But again, this money is probably supposed to be sitting there anyway. You shouldn't really be touching it. So um, 1% for a savings account, 1.3% for their money market. And that is if you maintain a $10,000 balance or more, it's 1.3%. Uh, some of the other ones, Synchrony is 1.3, Goldman Sachs. Ally is another one. So the next sort of bank that came out after Capital One was uh, Ally, A-L-L-Y. They're at 1.25. Same thing, very easy online bank, that sort of thing. So for the ease of it, Capital One 360 and Ally are amazing. Alliant, um, banks like Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Chase, it's like 0.1% or something. So I mean, dramatically, significantly less. Um, I do recommend generally that you keep some money at your local bank for sure. So if you're going to do one of the online banks, keep some money at your local savings account. That way, if you ever need immediate access to the money, you have it. Um, you're not going to get paid great interest on it, but it's there if you need it. And then keep the bulk of your savings at the higher interest rate savings account. Um, and then that way you're sort of creating some security there that you've got, you know, accessible money. And these banks are accessible. So it's not like they're trying to hold your money, but it does take a couple of days to transfer back from the checking, you know, into your primary checking account. So there's a few workarounds there, but I won't get into all of that. Um, I see you smiling. So are people commenting on things and like talking about me? I can't see it, which no, is crazy. James is talking about me. He's oh. like, <laughs> so because Mike spent all the 30% profit you all made and he doesn't want to admit it. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. So, um, you know, again, I, what, what do you consider good? I think those are good right now. So those are some of the best ones out there. And we'll post a link to those two articles that lists a list a whole bunch more. And uh, again, you want to look at minimum balance requirement and if there's any fees. Do you, I know a lot of people like, so say Capital One 360 is online only. They have no bricks and mortar, brick and mortar stores at all. That's how they can do so well and give you such a good rate and be competitive uh, so they don't have to pay for stores and, uh, you know, uh, upper overhead. overhead stuff and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but a lot of people like, I, I only bank with Wells Fargo. I do not want to go anywhere but Wells Fargo. What do you say to that? Um, what, why, what would be the benefit to leaving, not leaving your specific bank and joining uh, Capital 360? I think the, the thing that they are, I'm not talking about switching over all of your banking. So like if you've got a checking account at Wells Fargo or any other bank, keep all of that the same, but open savings accounts someplace else where you get a better interest rate. I don't like the idea of like hopping from one account savings account to another. So like if Ally is higher for six months, then Capital One might be higher for six months. Just, I wouldn't worry with the hassle of like jumping around. Uh, but, but picking a bank other than your primary bank to hold your savings because they've got you know, no fees and they can give you a better interest rate and all of that. I, I think people immediately assume when I say we're going to open these savings accounts that I want them to switch over all of their banking, all their bill pay, all their automatic debits, you know, and that's not what I'm talking about. So um, I think it's more of a, a marriage between the two, keeping everything you already have and simply adding some savings accounts at a better rate. 
Right. Can it, do you know of any banks, brick and brick and mortar banks, that can beat or match the benefits of Capital One Three Hundred and Sixty or Ally? Or I, I don't. Okay. Mm-mm. Okay. No. Some credit unions, maybe, but even then, I I don't think that they're even that good. Yeah, and they might have better like, than minimum. banks, but not that great. You know. And I would say that those probably have some minimum balance requirements or something. If if anything, if they're yeah, and sometimes you know the good thing credit unions are usually low, so like maybe twenty five dollar minimum balance requirement. You know, the nice thing, Capital One Three Sixty Ally, a lot of these other ones we're talking about have zero balance requirement to get one percent. Yes, to get one point three, there's maybe a bit higher of a balance requirement, but you know, you could keep $10 in it and they don't care a dollar or, um, you know, we, th- I think about like your car insurance, let's say you pay your car insurance annually, you could be saving one twelfth of that every month in a savings account in the 12th month. When you get the bill, you wipe out the account. You literally take it down to zero. These banks don't care, which I like. I like to know that like, I've got the freedom to make a choice and they're not going to hit me with a fee or they're not going to threaten to close the account or anything like that. And in those 11 or 12 months that the money's just sort of growing in there, I'm also earning interest on it while it sits there. Right. So we're not talking about a ton of money for something small, but it's, it's better than nothing. Right. Like I consider that a little bit of a perk for managing my money. Well, yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. And it's super easy to use. They have an app, right? And you can mm-hmm. Capital Three Sixty and Ally, and they make it super easy. Super, uh, even if you're not tech savvy, you can figure it out. It's pretty nice. Yeah, and I, you know, just to clarify, like we have no affiliation with any of these. Like, I don't have an affiliate link. I'm going to send you or anything. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but I, these are just ones that we use. Like I said, we've used Capital One Three Sixty. I wish I could get the date because I'm sure it's been like 12 years or something, maybe even 15. I, I don't know. Um, and so I've just learned to trust them and appreciate them. And the ease of it is pretty amazing. So. Yep, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's go right into the main topic of today, which is overspending. So here's, um, here, here's, it's based on a question uh, from James. <laughs> He's like our, our super fan, I think. I uh, love it. Oh, that's, we should get him a t-shirt. We should. <laughs> I listened to the Saver and the Spender podcast and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but so where is the one area people often overspend? Let's start with that part of the question. And you have a couple of things. And I have a couple of things that we, we see. I do. And I think I might get some hate mail after we talk about this a little bit, because I think some people, this might make them uncomfortable. They're going to be like, Oh crap, that's, I'm one of those people. And, uh, I will say that I'm all about like, it's okay to have sort of your one vice, right? Like we can have our one thing, own it though, and have the awareness around it and realize the opportunity cost or the trade-off that that decision is making you. That's what we're talking about. That's most important. Awareness, self-awareness, self-reflection is like such a key to making progress in life and to growing as a person. So, and growing with your finances. So you might have these and I'm really sorry. Um, no, you're not. I, I am sorry to deliver the, the hurt of this conversation, but, um, Grooming. Oh God, ladies. Okay. Like we've got makeup and skincare and, uh, eyebrow waxing or like lip waxing, facials, pedicures, manicures, getting our hair cut and colored. Um, I am like missing out on some really tanning, uh, the hair removal. I mean, the list goes on and on, uh, lashes, having fake lashes, fake lashes. Engines. Wait, what else? Extensions and Botox. I oh, like oh, yeah. Duh. Yes, yes, yes. So, and again. Those are just things that I get. You, right. But, you don't. But I budget yeah. for them. And here's I the thing. I absolutely get have some of those things. So, you know, this is by all means not to say that you shouldn't do them. Okay. So, and again, all of these things we're going to talk about, if that's your thing, girl, go for it. Right. Or guy, whatever it is, like do it. Don't have all of these things be your thing though. You know, so, um, all the different categories we're going to talk about, but grooming, I am amazed. This is definitely by area of the country too. Phoenix people. I don't think they realize just how much they're spending on this stuff compared to some of the budgets I see, you know, from like my Michigan clients or, I mean, it's definitely like a, a cultural thing, I think, as far as where you live. And uh, certainly a lot of money. And so my challenge is just total up how much you spend on this. Like literally take what you spend throughout a year and see if that feels worth it to you. Is that really adding value to your life? Is there anything you could do to cut back? Um, And again, maybe not on all of them, but 
you know, maybe a couple of things if you could DIY it or whatever the case may be. And just making sure that it's something that you really love and care about and uh, it's adding value to your life. Right. Uh, Don't DIY Botox though, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't DIY Botox. That's probably a good point. Thank you. Um, Okay. How many times in an episode can I say Michael? I know. I'm going to make that like my ringtone. Just compile them all. Michael, Michael, Michael. (laughs) I wish you could have one that like is uh, me rolling my eyes at you. you Uh, Okay. Home decor and not just home decor, but like, you know, you move into an apartment that you're only going to be in for a year or two years or maybe even three years. And it has to be like the most beautiful space. It's got to be from something on like, you know, HGTV, uh, cribs or something, right? I mean, it's, we move into these houses that we're only going to be in temporarily and young people, especially instead of taking time to, you know, move into a space or make it their own over time. We spend so much money on making it perfect. And, uh, the amount of money spent on home decor and, uh, home renovations or that kind of thing. Furniture is pretty remarkable from, some people's budget. So again, this might be your thing and you don't spend anything on grooming or it might be that you have all of these things. And that's definitely when we need to take a look. Okay. Take inventory of that. So there it's like, can we, you know, a space doesn't have to be perfect overnight, right? Especially if it's going to be temporary, it's just temporary and not spending all of this money on it. You know, there might be a better use of that and challenging that so that maybe you can improve your savings rate percentage into the next year. For example, you know, we've been talking about that, Uh, maybe paying off debt a little bit faster, taking the time to have delayed gratification versus the immediate gratification on some of these things is that's especially what we're talking about in that, in that category. Uh, Let's see. Eating out. uh, You know, I'm surprised by how many people continue to struggle with this and they either feel like they eat out too much, whether it's just, you know, they pack their lunch and eat at home every single day during the week, but then on the weekend they go crazy or they feel like they eat out lunch every day and they wish they were better at that. I mean, I I was amazed at how many people commented that eating out was their thing. I mean, amazed at how many people feel guilty about their eating out budget. So um, I certainly see this as a category that people, whether they overspend or not, they certainly feel like they're overspending. Okay. Uh, Travel, you know, the... I think this is something travels become easier. You know, we've got these websites out there, travel hacking and discount sites and all of that. And, you know, taking a big vacation every year is something that I feel like feels more common for some people where I think sometimes we talk to our parents or the generation before that and travel was something that you did as a special thing. It wasn't necessarily something that you did every single year. And now it's just becoming something that if you don't travel, something must be wrong with you. And I don't subscribe to that. So I want to challenge people that it can be your thing you know, and maybe you give up some of the other categories we talked about, or are you traveling because everyone says you should be enjoying travel? You know, like some people just like being home and that's okay too. So, yep. you know, one thing that I was thinking of that this is maybe, and I was going to say, it's probably more of a male thing. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm being very stereotypical here, but like electronic services and streaming and cable and football packages and that kind of stuff. Like um, those things add up really fast and it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's easy to get that and be like, oh, you know, Spotify is only nine ninety nine a month. But then when you add on top of that Hulu and Netflix and Amazon, uh, which actually $99 a year, but still that's... You well, know. you can pay it monthly though. I have some clients who pay okay. it monthly because okay. it's like 11 bucks a month instead of 99 a year. So it's easier for them. Right. No, and you're right. Like it's the, the iTunes or some of the, like the the music without the commercials, you know, or, uh, the small fees for the data storage, or, I mean, it's like three bucks a month. Right. So, I mean, certainly these are the little nickel and diming things that all of a sudden we're spending $200 a month or more on, Mm -hmm. you know, these types of, of things. This is especially important for small business owners, I think, because there's a million different things that we need in order to operate our business more efficiently. And they're all just nickel and diming, you know, you've got the you know, the domain fee and the scheduling app and the, the mail service that you pay for and the, uh, oh God, I mean, the graphic design software you could pay, you know, six bucks a month for. I mean, there's just, they're endless, right? They are endless. And at the end of the day, you look at it and you're like, wow, I'm spending $500 a month on all of these little things. And that means I need one more client and I need to work that much harder and all of that. And, uh, it's more about just realizing the total of all the things. 
Right. Exactly. And then one thing I want to add is that uh, nowadays, you know, maybe you're overspending on cable um, or DirecTV or whatever, whatever, when you could be actually doing a couple different streaming channels and be paying a lot less. So something to think about, uh, there's, there's Sling TV, which we use. We love it. They have three different packages, depending on how, how many channels you want. Hulu um, is free and you can subscribe to it. Um, uh, what's the other one I was thinking of? Netflix. Uh, Netflix. Um, oh, uh, YouTube has uh, TV you can subscribe to now. Um, so, you know, if, yeah, if there's you, so many of them. Yeah. And when you think about the channels that you actually watch when you pay for the packages of cable and direct TV, like, I'm sure we would only watch five different channels. Yeah. Uh, so we have like, okay, so we personally have Sling, Netflix, and Hulu. Those, that's what, and we have Amazon Prime, obviously. So we get to that. I think the biggest challenge, and this sounds so crazy, but, you know, I don't know the total of what we pay for those four things. It's not much, you know, it's definitely cheaper than if we were to pay for cable, but is, how many times a week, honey, do I have to ask you, like, we watch a certain show and I cannot tell you where it's at. Like, is that on Netflix? Is that on Hulu? Is that on Amazon? Is that on Sling? And I probably five times a week, I'm like, do you want to watch one of these episodes? Where is it at? Right? Like, and Michael has to tell me like where to go to get it. I just can't keep that stuff straight for some reason. I don't know. That's an accurate statement. (laughs) (laughs) So that if, but if that's our biggest challenge in life, honey, we're doing pretty good. I that's think, true. right? That's true. Yeah, um, I can't find my TV show. Yes. So Chantel, <laughs> not your sister Chantel, but uh, somebody else just commented that she's guilty on most everything we talk about today. We signed up for the fiscal fitness food prep challenge and scheduled the uh, MMD session right after the holiday to see what program we need to get on track and reach some of our financial goals. So thank you so much, Chantel. That's we're so proud of you for taking these steps for the next year. That's awesome. That <laughs> is awesome. And again, a Awareness, as painful as it can be to admit it, kudos to you. And that is definitely like the first step of just recognizing it and then starting to peel away the onion, right? Like, how can I save $5 here, $10 there in maybe each of those vices that you might have and and really just beginning to make progress and getting the momentum in the right spot for you? I have no doubt that uh, I... uh, Please check in with us. I would love to hear, you know, two months from now... What changes have you made and all that? Because I bet you simply by us talking about this, you're going to make some some changes. And even if it's 50 bucks a month, that's 50 bucks a month. It's great. That's, right? that's a lot of money. Right. Yeah. That's a lot of money. It's great. Um, Super let's excited. talk about, so last thing for overspending is coffee, which is, we talk about this constantly because we have a, a minor Starbucks addiction, but it's not bad. I would say we budget for it. We do. It is budgeted. Yeah. And we do good in that regard, but, um, we've been actually, so because we're meal prepping, Kelsey normally gets a a latte and I get a dopio espresso, which is just two shots of espresso. Um, every time I drink one of those, I have to shave my chest because (laughs) I, I grow so much hair on my chest. (laughs) <laughs> from drinking that espresso. This is where like, I just love coffee period. It doesn't really matter whether it's Starbucks or not, but like, I don't even like, so you started buying me what you were going to say. Sorry, I cut you off is that you started to get me the Dopio espresso, which is cheaper yeah. than the latte. So cheaper, $2 totally. cheaper, whenever we buy it. Right. Yep. And I just love coffee so much. I don't even notice that that's strong, honey. So you're saying that you like literally have to shave your chest. I'm just like drinking it. Like it's Kool-Aid or something. Yeah. Seriously. I no, have a coffee addiction. I like it. It's not bad, but it's like, it's just super condensed coffee. And so you get, you get punched in the face just a little bit every sip you take. Yes. It's awesome. So let's talk about with all of these things, you know, some of the ways that we can continue to make them luxuries because all the things we just discussed are true luxuries in life, right? But what happens is the more you have them, the less they feel like a luxury and the more it's like you need it in order to feel happy. Or if you don't have it, you feel as if you're without in some way, right? As opposed to feeling grateful for the fact that you do have it. Like we, it just starts to become so commonplace that our appreciation for it wanes. And so there's a few things you can do a complete detox of whatever it is, a cleanse, whatever you want to call it. And I'm using this word, but you know, and I'm not even talking about from a coffee or food perspective, like cutting out your streaming stuff and going without it for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, something like that to prove to yourself that when you get it back, one, prove to yourself that you can live without it and you're still going to be fine. 
Two, when you introduce it back, you appreciate it so much more. You've been without it. It feels so great. You're like, oh, I've missed you, right? And it feels like a luxury all over again. Um, So that's definitely one trick. I love doing that, actually. I love sometimes just being like, if I didn't have this for 30 days, I'm just going to cut it out because then when I get it back, like whether it's for financial reasons or whatever, it just helps you to feel grateful for that item when you have it back in your life again. Again, it feels like a true luxury. Um, The... uh, Try to pair it with something responsible. So, you know, if let's say going to a coffee shop is your thing, you know, maybe there's some things you need to do. If you're a business owner, chances are most of us hate prospecting, right? Like either calling people, making connections, all that. It's not always the most fun thing. Or maybe you hate updating your social media and scheduling that out tie that trip to the coffee shop with a task that is also responsible and try and pair those two together. That way, if you're going to do it, at least you're making progress in another area that you tend to hold yourself back in at the exact same time. Um, Tying it and pairing it also could mean pairing it to a goal. So, you know, maybe you get to book a flight for a vacation when you pay off a credit card, right? So, the idea is that the luxury happens only after something responsible or progress financially has been made, or, you know, you get to do something after you've lost five pounds, if that's what your goal is, right? So it doesn't have to be a financial goal, but, you know, really trying to tie it as a reward to something else that you really also want to accomplish, but maybe it's harder to find the motivation there. Um, Also try to do it a certain day of the week. So I try, try, try to not do something daily. Honestly, like I think we want to have really good habits in place as far as skills or things that we accomplish productively every day. But, you know, going to a coffee shop every single day, again, on the day that you don't, you feel like you're without as opposed to feeling really great about the time you get coffee. So, you know, we try to go every Friday. That's our treat, right? Like Friday, like, yay, it's Friday, get coffee. I look forward to it all week because of that. You know, maybe you do it on a Monday and a Friday, you get to start your week and you get to end your week, but in the middle time, you know, you don't do it. Um, same with eating out, you know, like tie, try to tie eating out to more of an experience. So, you know, we might go out to dinner, just the two of us, and it's a date and it feels like a luxury, whether we're going to like Burger King or a nice restaurant, the fact that we're making an event out of it, as opposed to like going through the drive through really fast, coming back to the office, sitting at my desk while I work and eating by myself, like that feels more like a convenience versus an experience around that item. So those are some tips. And I will remind people, um, this could probably be a whole topic all by itself. But um, oftentimes we think about in order to become happier, we need to add something to our life, right? We need to travel more. I want to eat out more. Uh, You know, I want to add that gym membership. And in fact, the opposite tends to be true, which is that the pain of some things, removing those painful things can actually make us a lot happier immediately than adding something that's going to add a small dose of happiness. So you know, removing the pain of something, removing the pain of debt, removing the insecurity you feel because you have no money in savings and you can't tackle an emergency tomorrow, you know, removing that pain and solving those would actually make you so much happier than like eating out five times a week. You know, a really good example of this is whether you spend $500 a month on eating out or $2,000 a month on eating out, you're probably not any happier right? So the idea of like adding more of something is not the, is not what's actually going to make us happier. Removing it. James says I'm falling asleep. Michael. <laughs> James. James. Um, no, he said Mike needs some coffee. He's falling asleep. Yeah. He needs as his dopio espresso. He has already had one, James. Don't no, encourage him. He's already had one. Um, like a sip. So you still have yours? Yeah. Oh my God, I drank mine in like two seconds. Okay. Um, No, really and truly like the idea of removing something that's causing pain and heartache or all that would actually likely make you happier than adding something more. So keep that in mind. And that especially ties to a number of these topics that we just talked about. Mm -hmm. I think one thing that I want to touch on is that that works for us is that you find an alternative. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you have a coffee addiction, and we actually did this last year, we got to the point we were like getting Starbucks too much. Um, and we bought one of the Ninja coffee bars, which I thought was going to be like, you know, like an SE on TV, big scam. It's going to break down in a year or, you know, a month and it's not going to work. That thing is awesome. 
Yeah. Um, and because we want, not only do we want like a cup of coffee in the morning, but later we want Mac a coffee drink or just some espresso or, um, something. And so if we, we paid maybe $200 for that, but we go to Starbucks four times less per week, you know what I mean? So in the long run, you're saving a lot of money. So, uh, if you find it, what is your, what are you overspending on? Find an alternative. If you'd like to get your hair colored, um, maybe you do it out of a box for a little bit and then every so often you get it colored. I don't know if that really works that way for hair coloring, but uh, this is just my, no, I love it. Seriously. Like we should have an entire episode where Michael talks about female topics and we'll <laughs> just see how it goes because this uh, makes me it's going to go so, South math. This I makes promise. me so happy and puts a smile on my face to hear yeah. you talk about this. So no, I mean, Good. yeah. Well, <laughs> I know. I mean, I don't know what else we talk about women and, but, um, <laughs> I don't mean, challenge, don't challenge me to come up with some topics. Stuff. I will. Um, yep. I don't know. I don't, I don't know the alternatives to a lot of women things. Yeah. Right, right, right. So but that's all right. Find, but if you could find something, um, like something that's cheaper or, um, you know, if you have a, a streaming service that you, you pay for Spotify, maybe you do Pandora, which, and not pay for the, the premium service or you, you do Spotify that, but they add, you know, you cannot listen to music for 30 seconds, listen to add it, then get back into the song that you want to hear. So that's my take on that. Yeah, good take. Cool. Last thing. Last thing for the day, then we're out of here. My uh, favorite. Yay, Carmen's Corner. Carmen is our daughter who is t- going to be two on the 31st of December, and that's uh, exactly two weeks and like two days. So that's crazy. And we still haven't done anything for her birthday party. We uh, have not. Can we just talk about a fail that we did? Yeah. Do which even... one? Oh, yeah, I know. But um, <laughs> we're imperfect. That's totally Okay. Uh, we invited people to her birthday party and she's going to be two. We sort of came up with this idea that, you know, one year we would do family only, you know, just us birthday party. The next year we would do a birthday party for her, you know, friends, whatever. And she's two. So this is just something we put in place now thinking that, you know, when she has a lot of friends and she's older, this is a good system to have. She has like three friends right now. Yeah. I mean, she's two, right. So not even two. So, I mean, um, yeah, not, not a huge posse of individuals, but, or so we thought, (laughs) um, so we invited people, you know, friends and neighbors and, uh, her, you know, godparents, if you will, of course. Right. And we invited all the kids that she knows, which isn't that many, but, uh, how many people do we have coming to her, this two-year-old's birthday party, Michael? Why don't you tell everybody? Like 40. Wah, wah. 40 people and it's a Paw Patrol birthday party. So a lot of us adults, we need to come up with like a drink that's like Paw Patrol related for the adults or something. Sky vodka. Sky vodka. Oh my God. So for those of you who don't, aren't into the Paw Patrol scene, like we are, um, (laughs) like we call ourselves Paw Patrol groupies. That's right. Um, uh, Sky is Carmen's favorite character. She's a little girl dog that has a helicopter. Yes. And saves the day. By the way, two years ago, we wouldn't have known any, any of this. So we were way cooler two years ago than we are now. So So much cooler, but (laughs) you know what? I love Casper baby pants. I just want to put that out there. Mm -hmm. Casper baby pants is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Um, (laughs) he is a kid singer. Uh, and you should go check him out because he's awesome to listen to. Not only do kids like him, but he's actually really fun to listen to as an apparent. Like, it's not like stupid, kids songs like they're funny they're fun but he is his real name is chris ballou he is the lead singer of the presidents of the united states of america who was one of my favorite bands when i was in high school they sang lump and peaches so not only am i listening to a kid singer but i'm listening to presidents of the united states of america yes now, and it's casper is c-a-s-p-a-r casper baby, baby pants yep check him yep. out YouTube. Um, He's got a YouTube channel, cute videos. We literally, I think Michael and I enjoy him more than Carmen does. No. And she loves him. So you can only imagine how much Michael and I love him. Yep. But uh, so I, because, so this is, this is really getting into longer story than I wanted it to be, but I, I took Carmen to a, like a, this is a year ago, a baby lap sit program at the library where you just, all the babies, them and they sit in your lap and they like read a book and they sing songs and dance and you know all that kind of stuff and they played a song and i was like man that song is pretty fun and cool and and i thought in the back of my head i know that voice from somewhere like that sounds really familiar so uh it took me a couple of times to to ask who the singer was and it was casper baby pants so i looked him up and looked up casper baby pants and it comes up that he was the lead singer of the presidents of the united states of america so 
I went to his website and you can email him. So I emailed him. I was like, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm so happy that you are, that my daughter is able to listen to you and like your songs. And as much as she does, I liked you when I, when you were in presidents, uh, you were my favorite band. It's just kind of a really neat connection that I have with my daughter. And he wrote me back and he was like, Oh Mike, thanks for that so much. You know, it's great. That's a great story. I'm really happy to do all this music. He's like, and really it's the same music as with the presidents of the United States of America, but with less innuendo. And that's exactly what he said. And it's true. Yeah. Um, when he's singing about bugs and cats, he's singing about bugs and cats when he's singing to kids. Do you remember what the song was at the lap set that you first heard of, of his? It, it was Run Baby Run. Run Baby Run, which is her favorite. Yeah. And she runs around the house. My favorite is Jellyfish Jones. So for those of you who have kids, or if you don't, go check out Jellyfish Jones by Casper Baby Hands. It's like my favorite song in the world. No, I'm just, just kidding. Him. Um, no, I do like it though. Uh, so that is, that is not our Carmen's corner. We're not even there yet, but that is a good tip because if you're so busy, like, you know, there's subscriptions like, you know, ABC mouse club and all that kind of stuff that you can pay for every month. Casper baby pants, YouTube channel. It's free. You put it on. It's got videos. She runs around the house. She sings, she dances. It is amazing entertainment. So that is actually a really good cost savings tip. Who knew we weren't even planning to talk about that. There you go. But let's talk about, um, buying Chris, Brian Christmas. I say Christmas, but uh, any type of present for your kids. And we, we say Christmas, but it could be uh, anything. But we have a saying, mm-hmm. which is, and I'll, I'll say, talk about it first, but you can kind of talk about the reasoning behind it. But we say, buy something that they want, something that they need, something to wear, and something to read. Yeah, so the idea here is... You know, every year, Carmen will walk down the stairs on Christmas morning and see four presents under the tree. So we don't have this, you know, feeling or, you know, obligation every year to have more and more and more. And I always think about the Harry Potter movie where, um, you know, what's the cousin's name? Dudley? Dudley, something like that. Somebody will correct us, I'm sure. Um, you know, walks, it's his birthday, I think. And he says, no, there's not 101 gifts. There's, there should be 102 because I had 101 last year and that kind of thing. And so what you're trying to do is prevent that sort of scenario from happening. Um, and so the idea is that there's four gifts. We do it in that order. I've also have some clients or heard of another way of doing it, which is, you know, three gifts, something from Santa, something from parents and something from siblings, if they've got siblings. So that's also another really good way. They, they, they expect three gifts. Um, it doesn't matter about the dollar amount or how big or how grand the gift is. It's like, here's the three gifts. Um, so that's something that I feel like is just one approach to making the holidays, uh, memorable and wonderful and yet not about more, more, more. So that is our Carmen's Corner tip, just uh, one way of approaching the holidays. Uh, if you are, if you've got young kids and you don't have a tradition yet, or even if you've got some, some older kids, this is a good approach too. Yep. We like it. It's fun. It makes it fun for us to actually try to narrow down everything that we want to buy from from those four categories. So it's pretty fun. Yeah, exactly. Cool. All right, everybody. We made it. We're done. I'm going to get out of your earwaves. And uh, we will see you, talk to you next week. Uh, check out Saver and the Spender podcast Facebook group. Check out Financial Coaches Unite. we got the Meal Prep Challenge coming up. Um, Financial Academy uh, is coming up, starts February 1st. Uh, regular pricing starts January 1st. So you have that early bird code um, to save some money if you you know love to help people with their money. And workshops coming up um, January 6th. So check those out. Uh, Lexi says another band that she likes when their kids were one and three where they might be giants, which uh, I actually like too. Um, they sing, um, oh gosh, Istanbul was Constantinople. That was Istanbul, not that one, you know, and Triangle Man, uh, Triangle Man. You didn't know I knew that, Lexi, though, did you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. What have you done, Lexi? Yep. I am not going to sing Jellyfish Jones. Oh. Uh, let's just say really fast that anytime I sing, Carmen says, no, mommy, no. And I am a terrible singer and that's why she does it. That's she what does I'm do that every time. I cannot sing and yet I still continue to do it. And my daughter tells me no. So. <laughs> anyway, yep. I'm better with money than I am singing. Let's just leave it at that. Yep. On that note, we'll see you later. Bye. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to The Saver and The Spender. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address, www.fiscalfitnessaz.com, to your family, friends, and colleagues. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at IamFiscallyFit, and on Facebook at FiscalFitnessPHX. Join us next time for another edition of The Saver and The Spender.